Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss tonight. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy O'Connor. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe they're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, I love just sitting in this seat. I got Ken Flo for 90 minutes or more. If you want Ken Flo for 90 minutes or so, you just got to convince him to start a podcast, which I did like seven years ago. It's great to be here with you guys. I got to stop saying it's like the most anticipated episode in the history of the program, right? After these amazing UFC fight nights, because this is not the most anticipated episode in the now 327 episode history of the Anakin Florian podcast, but it's pretty damn close. Monday, December 6, 2021. Happy birthday to my niece, Paris. Good to see you, Ken Flo. What's going on? How you doing, man? Great, great, great weekend of fights. We have more uh, to come. Uh, just crazy, man. It's been a been a pretty crazy schedule. And you're back home, huh? Came back home. Um, I have some child care to attend to in the next few days. People get very upset when I call my own children uh, any form of taking care of them, child care or babysitting. But uh, it is what it is. But yeah, no, I came home for a few days. And um, when I'm sitting there calling a UFC fight night like this, and granted, it's in the apex, right? So there aren't fans. There are some, but not enough fans to drown out the visceral nature of these strikes, the audio of these strikes. Right. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, if people are just watching this on ESPN, maybe tuning in for the first time, uh, you know, this card is just sensational. And the the amount of heat that was being thrown and how heavy the strikes were, generally speaking, on both sides of all these matchups. I feel like it was one of the loudest nights in UFC history, if I if I can put it that way. 
Some of these things, obviously, yeah, the location helps, right? Because it's it's an intimate place. You're right there. Uh, But, you know, that's the value of going to a live mixed martial arts fight. It's unlike anything else. You're seeing the impacts. You're feeling it. It makes it that much more visceral. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a must for any MMA fan for sure. All right, so coming up today, uh, we'll recap everything that was UFC Fight Night Font versus Aldo. We'll try to highlight as many performances as humanly possible. On the backside of the show at the very end, you know I'm talking about Hamzat Shimaev. What of it? We're going to talk about Dana White's quotes, not just on the Jim Rome show, but also to TMZ uh, about Hamzat Shimaev, who should have an opponent in the next few days. Uh, also, time permitting, we'll talk about Tyron Woodley stepping into the now rematch with, uh, with Jake Paul. But there's so much UFC stuff to get to beforehand that I'm not sure we're going to get to either one of those subjects. Uh, um, especially if my ass wants to talk about Jose Aldo on the Mount Rushmore of MMA, which I know Ken Flo doesn't necessarily have time for today. But let us talk about the performance of one Jose Aldo over Rob Font by unanimous decision, 50 to 45 times two, dissenting judge 49-46. Um, Ken Flo's loss to Jose Aldo in 2011 just continues to grace beautifully. Um, what else can you say, man, about the King of Rio? Listen, if you are not technically sound, tough as nails and capable of going a hard 25 minutes you're not going to beat a Jose Aldo he's just too good you know you have to get through the skill barrier you have to get through that mental toughness barrier you have to get through that experience barrier you have to be uh at a level of conditioning that is just out of this world there's so many layers that this guy has um and he kind of is becoming like a fine wine. You know, he's not old by any means, but he's been around the game for so long and he's been fighting at such a high level. Um, you know, it, it, he is absolutely one of the best fighters to ever do it. Um, you know, I, I, it was great to see those leg kicks come back. But yeah, uh, yeah. Man, I mean, what, what else? Him... What else you got? I don't want to oh, get no, into I have it a ton yet. of what questions. I have a ton yeah. of questions. Why do you think it took him so long? To get to the leg kick, obviously it was Andre Pedernares that called for it. He went to it right away, and it worked. Why do you think he waited? Geez, you know, it's tough. You know, obviously there was that leg uh, injury that he suffered way back when, several years ago, when he had a moped accident in Rio. Um, some people maybe think that was the case, maybe. Um, I, I think he's been training a lot of boxing, right? right? And no matter how effective you had a weapon, you know, if you had a weapon, uh, and it was working really well, and you're working on something else, it doesn't matter that you did it at a certain point. If you're no longer training it, you lose it, Yeah, right? It, it's just one of those things in mixed martial arts and martial arts. It's happened to me many times with my injuries up and down. If I'm not right. training it consistently, I forget about it, my body, my mind, whatever it is. And I think because he's been focusing so much on that boxing, he kind of has let that go by the wayside for whatever yeah. reason. Perhaps right. that's one of the reasons, but – my goodness. I mean, he's just so much more dangerous when those leg kicks are in play. I, again, I say this all the time, but, you know, I, I used to credit my eyes as one of the better things of my game. I could see things coming. I could move. I could evade. I could time certain things. He is one of the few guys that would throw something, and I just could not see it as well mm. as other guys. Like He was so damn fast, John, and Font so said effective. That. And his timing is so good. It doesn't matter if you know he's going to leg kick you. He's going to leg kick you because he's just that fast. It, it really was blindingly fast. 
Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And Font said for one reason or another, probably myriad reasons, he couldn't see some of those shots coming. Oftentimes I say it's the last article or video that I ingest before I go to the arena that ends up being the most useful in, in my commentary. And I read some comments from Pedro Munoz, who we'll talk about later today because he fights Dominic Cruz this weekend. But he talked about his fight with Jose Aldo, and that was the last fight for Jose. And he talked about the size and the strength. Jose Alves, a former two-time UFC featherweight champion, coming down. A lot of people thought if he was going to pursue a belt in, a, in another weight class, it would be at 55. So I'm thinking about that as I'm going to the arena, and obviously that was a huge factor for Rob Font, who, uh, while not as credentialed a grappler as Jose Aldo, uh, couldn't do anything with him on the ground over seven or so minutes. He's a massive 135-pounder. He used to have trouble cutting down to 145 pounds. I remember it well. I remember suffering through my weight cuts, also thinking, hey, He's, he's suffering something similar to what I was experiencing. I have uh, to say, though, yeah, it's such a different suffering, right? Like he these Bantamweight cuts are easier for him than the featherweight ones, right? Like you're it seems like it. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. like you're suffering. I mean, what was your body fat? I don't even want to know what your body I think at 168 pounds, I was 9% body fat at 168. So yeah, I mean, but anyways, anyway. you know. Yeah, he was so damn strong, John. That was the other thing. At 145 pounds, when I locked up with him, and again, I I don't know if this was attributed to my weight cut or my energy levels or whatever, which were brutal. But when I when I felt him, when I'd lock up with him, he had this like tension and this strength and this speed that was unlike a lot of other people. And again, I'd fought as high as 185 pounds. I had sparred with guys 185 pounds, but Jose Aldo's strength, his speed. Um, was really unlike a lot of people. H had to be top two, top three strongest guys that wow. I had I had fought or or locked up with for sure. So uh, imagine bringing that to 135 pounds, right, and Rob right. fought being on the thinner side of 135. That that was another reason when I looked at that, I said, "Geez, that's going to be a tough uh, mountain for him to climb." He invested in the body early, did Jose Aldo. And uh, although I didn't think the whole time I was necessarily watching a 50 to 45 type fight, uh, certainly it was dominant and Aldo was incredible. And uh, I think it's time for me to ask this guy for a photograph, Kenny. You know, I mean, I <laughs> Dude, had so many opportunities. You done that and yet? Well, I don't do that, generally speaking. I mean, Yoani okay. and Jacek, I think I had the courage in a bar in China because it was an intimate setting and I had a few cocktails to ask her. Um, but generally speaking, I don't ask fighters for photographs. I'm going to ask Jose Aldo for, for a photo next time I see him. Um, yes, but an incredible to. performance and divisionally speaking, it's huge because Aljamain Sterling is on the mend and all indications are, and I sort of joke with Aldo, uh, Aljo in the bathroom right before the fight, because he was there. I ended up seeing him in the bathroom right before that fight. I said, I guess for, if you're on team Sterling, you're just hoping these guys beat the ever living tar out of each other some way or another. And that's exactly what happened. But divisionally speaking. Aljamain Sterling needs to be healthy in order to unify these belts with Piotr Jan. And if that doesn't happen in relatively short order, maybe they strip Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan becomes undisputed. Either way, Corey Sandhagen's off a loss. TJ Dillashaw's off a win, but is wicked injured. I know Jose Aldo called for the Dillashaw fight. Um, this is um, twice as hard for Rob Font to swallow, I think, because divisionally speaking, he wins here. He's probably getting a title fight. And I think Jose Aldo, might just get a title fight here after this win this weekend. He he just might. You know, th there's a lot to unpack there with what you just said. I, I think that um, he matches up, uh, and Aldo, sorry, I should say, Jose Aldo matches up very well against Aljamain Sterling, in my opinion, perhaps better than anybody else out there. I don't know if he matches up so well against Piotr Jan. Obviously, right. we saw that fight before. I, I do think he'd be a little bit smarter heading into that fight, but the type of 
tenacity, ferocity, pace, and conditioning that Piotr Jan brings to the table with his striking and his ability to hit takedowns. Um, I, I, that, that would be fascinating to watch. I would absolutely be down for that rematch. But I'm not sure I'm so sold on um, that last performance by Aldo to say he could beat Piotr Jan sure, at this point. Sure. Just because there were a couple times, and, and here's me being super critical, and Aldo is absolutely elite, elite Hall of Famer. Yeah. But um, I would have liked to see him a little bit busier on the ground. He threw, you know, it's like Rob Font was throwing maybe 10 times the amount of strikes that Aldo was throwing on the ground and Aldo right. was on top. So I would have liked to seen him a little busier, perhaps right. going forward a little bit more on the ground, but positionally he was dominant. Um, no question about that. Uh, and also it's a testament to Rob Font and the improvements that he's made on the ground. But uh, I, I would have liked to seen a little bit more aggressive Jose Aldo yeah. when they did hit the mat as far as strikes and, and making Rob pay there. Uh, but still, this is a, a Jose Aldo that is something else. And, you know, uh, absolutely elite. I mean, I like the way he matches up against Dillashaw. I like the way he matches up even against uh, Sanhagen with all his tools. Yeah. So, uh, no, no shortage of fights. 135-pound division, dude, is just ridiculous. 145 and 135. You look at... The improvements that that division has made, the, the quality of fighters in those two divisions from the last five years or 10 years, yeah, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. No, you hit on a lot of things there. I think Aldo Sanhagen actually makes a lot of sense, right? But it seems counterintuitive when Jose Aldo talks so much about wanting to fight for the belt and sort of check that box and yet seems to want these big, difficult five-round main events, you know? I think maybe because he got the title fight against Piotr Jan off a loss, even though a lot of us right. felt like he beat Marlon Marais, that maybe he really wants to solidify himself as the number sure. one contender. He knows there are two champions right now. I thought he moved his feet uh, better against Pedro Munoz, though, than he did this night even. You know, I think fatigue was a factor for Jose Aldo this night, mm. and I do think against Sanhagen and certainly against Piotr Jan, you know, he's going to have to move a little bit better laterally than he did this night. Um, but I that's agree. about as, as analytical as I'm willing to go. Real quickly, um, on Rob Font, um, I know this is really hard for him because he feels like he has all the skills to beat Jose Aldo. I thought he got off to a relatively good start. I thought yes. his corner work was good. Um, anything for us on the Rob Font side before I talk one more time about Aldo, big picture. Listen, I thought Rob Font had a, a tremendous performance, which was why it was so impressive that Jose Aldo went out there and still got the win in the manner that he did. For Rob Font was doing everything you're supposed to do uh, against Aldo. He was pressuring him. He was attacking the body. He was trying to weaken him. He, he was you know, mixing things up on the ground. He was staying aggressive. He kept a good pace. It just wasn't enough. And I think this is where Rob is going to improve yet again from an experience like this. He will elevate his style and his game. That's what he's done throughout his career. And I expect a tougher, better Rob Font in the future because when you face elite fighters like Jose Aldo, it rubs off on you. You learn. And Rob Font is a tremendous martial artist who will get better from this. And I do think you can argue that his championship window doesn't really close all that much, right? He's 34 no. years old for Font, right? But he's still one big win away from being back in relevance. And I think yeah. if he gets that win over a Sanhagen type, for example, and I know that's asking a lot, um, mm -hmm. you know, then when you get some distance from this Jose Aldo result and fight, it's like, all right, there are some positives there. You know, he did yes. go 25 minutes and challenge Jose Aldo. So again, for our region, New England, like couldn't be happier having a guy like Rob Font represent us. Um, and I'm really happy for 
for uh, for that team, and and hopefully he's uh, he's not too banged up health wise. Um, a lot of reasons to go back to Brazil right now. I'm told the earliest we could get back to Brazil is May, but with Glover Teixeira obviously as UFC light heavyweight champion and Jose Aldo uh, as relevant as ever. Um, maybe it's Rio, maybe it's May. We shall see. I'm not asking you to give me your Mount Rushmore of MMA, right? But it is interesting when you talk about where Jose Aldo was in 2015 going into the Conor McGregor fight. He had won 18 fights in a row. He loses that fight, and uh, there have been losses since, right? I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's close to 500 even since that Conor McGregor fight, you know? But in the time that has elapsed since that Conor McGregor defeat in 13 seconds, Jose Aldo has sustained and built his legacy legacy and added to it so much so that when you talk about the five greatest mixed martial arts athletes of all time, like let's just say five, right? Like you're certainly not having the conversation without Jose Aldo. And when you look at all the big wins and all the signature wins when compared to, say, Conor McGregor's resume, um, it is absolutely incredible what Jose Aldo has accomplished. You know, John, in this sport, it is so difficult to even fight for the belt. It's even more difficult to win the belt. It's even more difficult yet still to defend that belt. Why? Because everyone is getting a crack at trying to unlock that code. And every time that happens, people have an opportunity to learn from it, adjust, right, and and gather that intel and put it on their side. The fact that Jose Aldo was undefeated for so long at 145 pounds is just remarkable. Um, And then when you look at, you know, what is greatest of all time, you look at the fact that he's been elite in two different divisions. You look at the fact that there is no real weakness. I mean, like he gives wrestlers, guys with high level credentials fits when they're trying to take him down. He could strike with the best wrestlers in the world. He could out jujitsu you if he needs to. There's so many different layers to his game, his defensive capabilities, how he pivots and how he blocks calf kicks and how he avoids all those different things. Um, He really is a master. When Jose Aldo is at his best, I mean, I'm telling you, it's one of the prettiest things to see. Uh, He he really is a master. I do not call many people. There are a lot of great champions, a lot of great fighters out there. There are very few masters. I believe Jose Aldo to be one of them. Seven title defenses during his first reign, which began in 2010. And one of the early ones, if not his second title defense, was against you, Ken Flo. We really have to move on, but real quick. You weren't like super, super beat up after those 25 minutes. What was the sorest, though? I mean, when you guys fought, what was the leg? Yeah, the leg. Like as soon as that the fight was over, I like went to like it was like all of a sudden, like I felt everything like I went to step. I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. Those, yeah. those are good leg kicks. And then I couldn't feel my leg for like six months. But um, other than that, yeah, no, he, he, I mean, he is just very, yeah. very impressive. Yeah. Man. And again, he's, he, I think he's a way better fighter than when I fought him. You know, he's so much more experienced, yeah. so much right. more confident. Right. Uh, yeah. Next time we have uh, Jose Otto on the program, I'll ask him what was most sore the day after he fought Ken Flo <laughs> that fateful night, October 2011. All right. Speaking of the nuances, right, and the little subtle defensive things you talk about with Jose Aldo, go back and watch. Well, I'm not telling you this, but I would kindly suggest to our audience to go back and watch Rafael Fazeev's knockout of Brad Riddell because this spinning wheel kick obviously aesthetically was a thing of beauty, but watch sort of the little nuances in the footwork and the way he sets it up, right? Like, I don't even know what I'm watching, and I can see that. I mean, pretty incredible striker, and now that he has his feet under him, so to speak, in the octagon, he's talked a lot about this cage being different than other MMA settings. Um, I think he could be a future champion. You just never know. 
John, you're doing your homework. I, I love to hear it. You know, these are the invisible things that people don't quite appreciate. We know we all see the the knockout strikes and the power and the speed, right? That is clear for most people to see. Um, but it's the adjustments. It's your body position in relation to your opponents that allow you to hit when you need to hit them. It's your balance. Something as simple as you know keeping your feet underneath you. You know, something as simple as breathing. These are all things that you don't really see and appreciate until you go out and do it and you're completely off balance and your timing's horrible. Fazeev has those little things. He does the invisible things, all the little fundamental things that people talk about. He does extremely well. He doesn't throw himself out of position. Um, and my goodness, what a beautiful uh, strike to end that fight. And I think his consistency and his confidence and his comfort level in the octagon at this stage of his career is really impressive as well. He went against a dangerous striker in Brad Riddell. Uh, but to me, it was Riddell who seemed way tighter, and he just seemed to get tighter as the fight went on. Fazeev seemed to loosen up as the fight went on, and I think that was kind of the story of the fight for me. Dean Thomas talked about that, and I know some people were dismissive of that commentary, so it's interesting to hear you align with it. And all the judges saw this fight two rounds to nil for Rafael Fazeev. And I do think there is something to be said for that, even though my counter to Dean in my head, even though I didn't get it out on broadcast at the time, was that I feel like I see some of that in Riddell even when he's winning fights. So I didn't yes. want to lean too heavily into it. But it's interesting for me to hear you say that nonetheless. I feel like this was one of the most fascinating fights that I've ever called, just given the friendship, right? And I felt like Riddell was doing a lot of nuanced things, right, to try to attack yeah. the body and things, you know, that I really can't speak to specifically. But I just thought it was a fascinating fight to call. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see these guys fight each other again. Um what are your big picture thoughts on, on Rafael Fazeev after uh, after this win? It's five in a row since dropping his UFC debut. You know, I, I think this was a fight that proved a lot to me. I, I think he had to deal with a lot, right? I mean, having Brad Riddell as your mentor or instructor and having to go out there and fight that guy who is a friend, the guy you've hung out with outside of training – it's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do, uh, go out there and hurt them and be able to look past them. And, you know, um, I think for Fazeev, this is going to be a big moment that he'll look back on in his career and say, this made me mentally tougher. This gave me experience. This gave me confidence uh, to keep doing what I'm doing and, and to kind of strengthen that faith in his training. Fazeev's something else, man. He, he really is a special fighter. Uh, and I still think he has things to show us uh, for example like what happens when he goes against you know a high level takedown artist and things like that i think he has shown it to hold up so far pretty well but yeah. I, I think this is a huge step in his development and i think he's only going to get better from here on out i, I want to see more of this kid he's a phenomenal yeah. striker yeah, I think you put that well. And I feel like for Riddell, too, this is hugely valuable experience. You know, just like for Kamar Usman fighting Gilbert Burns, I think there was so much to extract right. from that win. And there aren't going to be many more difficult fights emotionally than the one Brad Riddell just experienced. And knowing Riddell, he'll demand that Gillespie fight again. You know, just one of the toughest customers on the roster. And Brad Riddell will forever have a fan in me. But uh, Fazeev's obviously the guy that's moving on up likely to the top. 10 or 11 or so uh, in the world at 155 pounds. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Jamal Hill uh, was an underdog going into this Jimmy Crew fight. Um, 
You know, I believe he says, however humbly, that he is the best boxer in the UFC. And I said on the broadcast, you know, there is definitely a humble man, despite the obvious confidence and self-belief of uh, Jamal Hill. Definitely a humble man inside there. And uh, it's going to take some humility to bounce back from the Paul Craig result the way he did. Um, And he's got that, you know, break your face open throwback type power, you know, obviously technical skills. Right. But we talk about Derek Lewis, you know, breaking your face open. Didn't take very long for Jamal Hill to break a bunch of fucking bones in Jimmy Crute's face, did it, right? Some guys hit you and they break your face. Jamal Hill's one of them. If there was one word that comes to mind every time I see Jamal, especially when he's at his best, it's sweet. Like, the dude is just nice with his technique. Like, you know, okay, so let's contrast this to Riddell, who I'm not picking on Riddell. Riddell is a phenomenal striker, obviously done amazing things. But he tends to tighten up when he when he when he fights, right? It's like he 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 bites down and he just like gets tight and just throws. But you can see that it impedes your ability to be fast and to be powerful. Whereas you know Jamal Hill, he allows it, he accepts it, he's super loose, and that speed and that sharpness comes off, man. And it's just so evident. He is a totally at peace with himself when he starts that fight. He's relaxed, and man, he strikes like a cobra. It's just. It's so pretty when you see him put together those combinations, and man, you're like, this guy's different. He hits different. He moves a little different, and if you're not ready for it, man, you are in big trouble. Jimmy Crute is a good fighter, dude. I picked, I thought Jimmy was going to try to take him down. I go, Jimmy, what are you doing striking with the guy? You know what I mean? He was trying to. He just he couldn't get there because Jamal's movement, his feints, the way he sets things up. Man, he's fun to watch, and uh, it's great to see him come back uh, from that last fight against Paul Craig, too, where like his elbow obviously got messed up, and uh, I, I, this he's got a lot of potential, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what else he's got in store. Yeah, it's interesting listening to what you said about Jimmy Crute sometimes sort of getting in the firefight, especially early. But, uh, you know, despite some of the things that that Crute said publicly, you know, his intention was to very much take Jamal Hill down and try to rip his arm off. And Crute, ever the good sportsman, was like, what the fuck was that, man? You know? Um, I yeah. love Jimmy Crude. He's only 25 years old. I think at times in the past he has wanted to expedite things, and now this – on the back end of the foot drop is going to force him to sort of reset and maybe have a little bit of a longer career candidly than he was hoping. I think in a perfect world, if he has these visualizations, Jimmy Crute would have liked to have been UFC champion by 28 and been out by 32 and probably going to have to be in the game a little bit longer now after this loss. But I love Jimmy Crute. I'm bullish on his future. But yeah, man, sweet dreams, you know, Um, sometimes doesn't take much when you're calling these knockouts, right? Sweet fucking dreams. I wish I could say sweet fucking dreams. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. So, all right. So, Jamal Hill will uh, move up in the rankings, and this is a big test for him to pass. And, uh, again, in a light heavyweight division that really is wide open and more wide open, I think, than some other divisions, um, maybe Jamal Hill finds himself in a UFC main event type situation. Maybe an Anthony Smith fight just off the top of of my head makes some sense. But um, he called out, uh, I think he mentioned the name Johnny Walker and also Paulo Costa, which, uh, as a main event, in college, I love that. Not make all the sense in the world. I love that. Um, yeah. All right. I'm really trying to not shortchange this entire fight card. And by the way, Cody did write in our chat room. Uh, Jamal Hill likes to fight, fight, and that's a, a good way to put it. Like, likes to fight, and I would imagine he'd be a guy that with thirty thousand people uh, screaming his name would even be better. So, um, very exciting to think about the future. Yeah, the dude, for, uh, the dude watched his arm. 
the dude watches arm dislocated. He's right, still like, right. let's go, let's go. I got to yeah. keep on fighting here. Yeah. Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's your guy. All right, Clay Guida. So hopefully this will dovetail nicely into the Ray Longo minute today. And Cody, you can just pop that motherfucker on right when he gets in here. <laughs> um, Clay Guida over Leonardo Santos by rear naked choke. And, you know, sometimes we make too much of an MMA submission of a seven-time world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt because Anthony Fluffy Hernandez has some great chokes. But when he submits Adolfo Vieta, it's the byproduct of a mixed martial arts fight that has played out before that submission. So it's incredible for Clay that this was not a knockout or a decision, and he can always lay claim to having submitted Leo Santos. And that's the way I called it, and that's all well and good. Um, but this is a, a submission due to cardio abandonment, right? I mean, not due to a rear naked choke, let's be honest. <laughs> no, there's a lot to get to. I shouldn't have put it that way, I guess. But yeah. what are your thoughts on on Guida's unbelievable rally uh, to beat Leo Santos? John, you are on point today, my friend. Always on point. But today, my goodness. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. The submission happened when Leo Santos wasn't able to finish Clay Guida in round one. That's exactly. when it happened. It was him mentally shutting down and going, what the hell do I need to do to beat this caveman? I don't huh. think I got it. I don't think I got it in me to try to do that again in round two. I don't think I have it in me to do that again in round three. I, I, I think I spent it all in round one, and right. I got this madman in front of me who keeps moving very unorth in an unorthodox fashion, who's trying yeah. to hit me, who's trying to hurt me, who's taking this fight to me, and I'm tired. My lungs are burning out. That's when he lost, and that's when he got submitted, and that's what Clay Guida has in his arsenal, it's that heart. It's that thing you don't see. That's the most powerful and toughest thing about him. Um, is he the most skillful fighter in the world? No, but he's not going to quit and he's not going to go away. You're going to have to take him out on a stretcher. That's it. That's the only way Clay Guida goes away. And yeah. it's amazing that he's still doing it and fighting with that amount of heart and tenacity at 40 years old. Clay Guida is a damn stud, man. Like, everyone's got a certain amount of fight in him. Clay Guida, I, I mean, just to see what he's done and the way that he's fought since his very first fight, like when he was fighting at Strike Force and when he first got in the UFC, he's still fighting in that same manner. Yeah. To, to have that amount of fight is it, just unbelievable. Clay Guida is a damn legend, dude. Unbelievable. This was his 32nd UFC appearance, his 55th Jeez. professional MMA fight overall. He turns 40 on Wednesday. Happy birthday, Clay. I'm going to go on his boat, gills and thrills, with my kids down here in Florida at some point. Um, but it is remarkable. And if you were to say to me, over under 39 and a half career appearances in the UFC for Clay Guida, I would take the over right now. I actually think he will have eight more fights in the UFC, right? Built to last was a line that sort of stuck with me that he said with us uh, in our fighter meeting. As far as the stoppage is concerned, you sort of led the dance here with some Le Leonardo Santos inner monologue as if to say like, hey, Keith, man, <laughs> yeah, what's exactly. it going to take, man? <laughs> All right, so Keith Peterson is a friend of mine, and he's a friend of mine before he is any sort of colleague. I mean, we don't work together, but we share shuttles, you know, have that nice shuttle with the judges and referees again. I kind of stoked the fire this time. I turned around. I was like, why do the commentators have to get on a shuttle with the judges and the referees? And one of the judges sort of deadpan right back at me. He's like, yeah, why do the judges have to uh, be on a shuttle with the commentators? <laughs> you know. But that was our reality. So here's the thing, right? Like Keith Peterson has a defense for why he stopped the Henry Cejudo Dominic Cruz fight. 
And I hate to inject Cruz into this Ken flow, but Longo did it right. He texted me that Dominic Cruz has got to be like, what is going on here? Because as I said on the call, in this instance, Keith Peterson gave uh, Clay Guida every benefit of every doubt to stay in this fight. Keith has a technical explanation as to why he stopped the fight between Cruz and Cejudo. I think a lot of it has to do with Cruz's arms being extended, maybe not intelligently defending, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But I have said that I do think a referee's style can evolve, and certainly you want to learn from situations, especially ones that maybe are controversial, that splits the public. And it wasn't just Cruz and Peterson that were split on that. It was the public. You know, a lot of people felt like it was a fine stoppage. A lot of people felt like Cruz, especially in a title fight, deserved better. I do think this speaks to some evolution from Keith Peterson. You know, and maybe he's going totally the other way. I thought this fight could have been stopped. And I feel like this was a case of Keith Peterson in some way, shape or form, knowing the athlete and making sure that Clay Guida um, really was too hurt to continue before he stopped the fight. That never happened. And the result was an epic rally and a fight that we'll be talking about for years to come. Yeah, listen, I, I think, uh, you know, body language matters and, and you have to be able to speak uh, that language. And I think that that really is probably the most important thing for a referee to know and recognize, you know, when it comes to deciding whether you're going to stop a fight or not. Right. Uh, everyone's body language, however, is a little bit different. And um, you're looking at things like limp arms or eyes, right, rolling to the back of your head or, you know, a fighter turning away or things like that. So with me in this fight, I think you also have to consider history, right? And what that fighter has done, how he fights, how he's come back before. Like for anyone who hasn't seen the Clay Guida Diego Sanchez fight, like yeah. check that out. You let me yeah. know how tough Clay Guida is. So finish our show first, but then right, exactly. Can... Yeah, finish our first. Yeah. So you know, it, it's you're talking about one of the toughest dudes uh, in Clay Guida. So yeah, it wouldn't have been the worst stoppage. But I did think Clay Guida was fine and able to continue. And, you know, listen, Keith Peterson, I still think he's one of the best referees in the world. No doubt. Does he make a a mistake every once in a while? Yeah, the guy's human. Of course. um, You know, I I thought it was the right call here. And I I, I agree with you. I think evolution and learning from your mistakes is crucial, right, in any uh, domain. And I think Keith Peterson is kind of putting it all together to allow that fight to play out. It allowed Clay Guida to come back. It was the right call, in my opinion. And uh, we had a fantastic fight and comeback because of it. I do agree with all of that. And I think Keith Peterson is a fantastic referee, one of the very best in the game. He has been elevated by the Nevada State Athletic Commission, right? Did the main event this weekend. And this was a guy that three or four years ago, the no-nonsense Keith Peterson was not refereeing fights in Nevada. So I think he's one of the best and uh, just a great family man. All three of his kids wrestle. And uh, again, though, I think if you're Dominic Cruz, right, and you got that title fight uh, and you're watching this, uh, it's got to be very difficult. And this is the second time we've had this type of conversation. Now, as far as the scoring of that first round, real quick as we're waiting for Longo, again, I was hoping to bring Ray into this conversation because I think he has a lot of uh, comedic value to add to it, uh, the subject, but he's at least five minutes late at this point in time. But in terms of the scoring of this round, right? And Sean Sheehan is really the media guy that I lean on for this stuff, and I'm hoping to have him on later this month, actually, to sort of talk about some of these specific rounds and the scoring. But in an era in which the scoring has been tweaked a couple times and we're trying to be more liberal with 10-8 rounds, I said on broadcast that I probably would have given that a 10-8. And if I was a judge and I had scored that first round 10-8, 
for Leonardo Santos. That would have been one of my scorecards that was roundly criticized by the masses. And as a judge, you got to be okay with that, right? I guess for me, because Santos came so close to finishing Clay Guida, that the resultant minute at the end of the round in which Clay had top position and was fatiguing Mm -hmm. Santos, uh, that wasn't enough to swing at the full point. I probably would have gone 10, eight and a half if I was able to do so. But because I thought the fight could have and maybe should have been stopped at one point in time in my mind, I still would have written down 10-8. And again, maybe that would have been a mistake. Like, I'm not like going to my cremation chamber, like loving that scorecard. I'm just saying in the moment, that would have been a 10-8 for me, um, you know, because he came close to finishing him. That's all. I just want to get that out there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's valid. I, I think um, you know Clay did kind of save that by 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 coming right back in, and I think at that last minute of that round, um, I think again that was the deciding factor in, in the fight in a lot of ways. Not necessarily for the round, you know. You, no, you you're right. For 10-8, but I think that's what in Leo Santos' head, he's like, man, that was my opportunity. It's gone, and for for Clay, he did maybe you know, save that round for him, you know, amongst the other judges to, to make yeah. it a 10, nine, as opposed to a 10, right. because if it had continued or maybe they circled, you know, round and round for the remainder of that round, I, I think there absolutely there's an argument for a 10, eight, right? I think you're right. And when I think about in sort of those terms that he effectively broke Santos late in that round, that maybe that swings it enough back to a 10, nine. And again, all three judges, uh, did have it 10, nine, uh, for Leo Santos, which is crazy, right? Because he lost the round. But one, right, it's like losing well, the right. battle but winning the, the war. Yeah, right, that, that's, exactly. that's what actually did it. So that little effort at, you know, a yeah. minute, it let Leo Santos know. It's like, no, man, I'm, I'm still here and I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to come at you. And I thought the judges, uh, especially if you're listening, had a great night uh, top to bottom. There he is, the fucking RPL machine, wearing the Venom gear on a Monday. Yeah. The pomade obviously has not come in because Ray Longo's hair is Every which way, uh, about seven mi- seven minutes tardy today, but uh, we'll let you uh, slide. Well, as long as Krause is okay, I'm good. Uh, That's uh, all right. Uh, That's uh, I hope Krause hey, is real good. So, uh, what happened? He will be late, <laughs> what, What's up with seven minutes late though today? What's up yeah. with like? What happened today, my man? Yeah, you know, we switched the times, and I got to adjust. It might take me may, might John, take it, me a couple of weeks. John, it's this older generation, you know, they just they don't care about time. No. You know, they're not like these new kids that really care about. Right. Right. No, you you might be uh. right, Kenny. I, it's, <laughs> it's hard to find something I actually give a shit about. You might be right about that. Wow. Oh, 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 man. Man. Oh, look at him. He, he loves us. His... Look at him. He's here smiling. Wait, hold on, Kenny. Is he in a posture of like anger right now? Like I feel this threatened. means I'm not having it. Yeah, yeah he's I not mean, letting I you know. in. I, I mean, if I'm out on the street, that's a that's that's a posture that could provoke (laughs) a problem. Certainly not wearing my Ray Longo minute gear today, are we? Huh? (laughs) I'm fucking seven minutes late in a 90 minute big pay per view week. No, I'm just. Oh yeah, great. Um, Hey, but real quick, um, if the 12:30 p.m. Eastern isn't a great slot for you moving forward, we can take that conversation off the air. But I want to maximize our time with you because we got Jimmy Krause coming up in about 21 minutes, and (laughs) certainly wouldn't want to keep a good man waiting. You know, I'll I'll keep it short. Don't worry about it. No, please. So, um. I have so much I want to get into with you. Uh, I love when your name pops up in my phone on fight night. And, you know, we sort of joke about it, right? Um, Because every fight is different and every circumstance is different. But, uh, you know, Keith Peterson certainly had a long leash there for Mr. Clay Guida, huh? (laughs) (laughs) 
dude, all I could think about when that fight's going on is like, poor Cruz, he's in there. He's got a voodoo doll. He's stabbing <laughs> Peterson in the back oh. with it. But let, let's face it. I mean, Peterson, of it light, right? With the fucking yeah. Cigarette. Oh, yeah, he's burning them. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> pouring, pouring beer on his head while he's burning them with cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you. I mean, come on, man. You got to make a case. But Peterson might be the re best ref out there at this point. I agree. I agree. I mean, he's right there. It, he's, he's, listen, he's present. And even with Marab, uh, he told me, look, as long as you – he was listening, he was doing what I was telling him. And I'm sure right. Clay did the same thing. And look what happened, man. You know, other refs could have jumped the gun. Two guys would have been denied victories that were absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all good. But I do – when I see that, I just – All right. I, Cruz just doesn't listen, I guess. That's where I'm going with this. Uh, he doesn't uh, listen. Oh, my God. Sometimes you can't be the guy talking. You have to listen. So uh, I truly want to maximize our time with you. So if you have anything for us on Jose Aldo, we spent the first 20 minutes of the show on this man. Um, but what else can you say about Jose Aldo looking prime at 35? I mean, look, this is a, this is phenomenal because, you know, I always go back to, I think I was in the locker room once 10 years ago and they said, this guy has trouble making 45. Now he comes down to 35 at a later you know, a later point in his career where that should be really hard. Uh, look, never quit, never give up, believe in yourself, uh, find the right people, you know, develop another passion, you know, a renewed passion. I mean, this guy is, you know, this, what he's doing is, is pretty phenomenal for a variety of reasons. Right. And, uh, yeah. man, he looked, uh, he looked good. And, and Rob Font, you know, look, we knew, he had a chance of winning that fight. You know, he was, he came out, he had a great first round. He got caught at the end, but you know, Jose's shots had just more pop to him. Uh, and look, that's where experience really plays off, you know? And I'm, yeah. you know, I always talk about this before and I'm not sure Rob Font wasn't totally, you know, enamored with uh, Jose Aldo, you know, you had to know he had to look up to him. There's a difference when a guy like that, you might think about it, right, Kenny, but then you get in the ring and you go, what if this guy still has it? Then he starts leg kicking him on the advice of his corner, which was, a, I think, a total game changer. Uh -huh. I think that that was a huge game changer, something as simple as that. But, you know, the the Jose Aldo, we, we love just burying people's legs, kind of resurfaced a little bit. He got the couple of calf kicks off. And, uh, again, experience being with the same guy, I think, him and um, – Pettineris. Paneris, I mean, phenomenal. It's a great story all the way around. I mean, I I really hope he be, you know, he gets what he wants, which is a championship, which I don't think is going to be easy. But just the fact that he called out Dillashaw, his head's in the right spot. Yeah, he's just a veteran that uh, it just seems like he became. A, he's a great person too. He's just everything he does is right, you know. Uh, at this point, so Ray, I yeah. agree. I, the, the clouds parted and the angels started singing when he was landing those leg kicks. You're like, that's the yeah. Jose. That's Aldo it. That's the guy I want. Like, yeah. holy crap, he does have it. I don't know why yeah. he wasn't doing it, but yeah, it's, it yeah. was a, yeah. it was a great fight. It really was, and uh, you know, he knew how to space it out. He be not that he stalled on the ground, but again, it, veteran moves all the way around. You know, mm -hmm. he took, he knew how to take time off that he needed. Uh, while still controlling him and then, you know, getting back up, he had it, you know, still had a lot of pop left. Yeah, just great. Every, every, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what else to say unless you have something specific, but a beautiful no, that performance. Was that was perfect. By um, a great guy my, who I think is, is going to go out of this sport loved by more people than when he was the champion. 
I'm telling you. My eyes told me this was his toughest bantamweight cut when I sort of saw the after effects on Friday, and I do think he was fatigued in this fight. So, again, as he continues to make this cut, I think it does bear watching. But, again, if you're generally speaking eating cheeseburgers as a featherweight whenever you want, which was the case for Jose Aldo, and then you make wholesale lifestyle changes – He's not that surprised that he has had an easier time with some of these training camps and cuts to 35 than he did for 30, 45 because of those changes. Like when Kempflow was making 55, like he was eating clean, you know, like this isn't Kempflow fucking Ultimate Fighter season one circa 2005 in the, the middleweight division. You know? <laughs> so um, 2005. 2005. So, he wasn't around in 2005, was he? April sure of 05, Ken Flaw on season I one sure of the Ultimate was. Fighter. I mean, how yeah. old is this guy? I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> You're asking the president of Team Florian. He was born yeah. May 26, 1976 in Westwood, Massachusetts. Oh, oh man. Oh, look at that. Ken, you could never leave this guy, no matter what. I know. I'm telling you. Well, that's, the, no, that's probably the conversation he has with Clark about the show at times. At the end of the year, Clark's like, wait a second. You gave Anik every Monday again, and that's what he paid me to do. Wait, Um, wait, is Clark a fan of John's or no? She is, of course. She is a fan. Very good. I'm just saying, I don't know why, but she is. It's like, hey, Anik, you better be lining my husband's pockets here you take every Monday. And Kenny's like, you don't understand. Like, he's the president of my team. I can't. Like, he's a fan. He's like a fan of mine, Clark. I don't know what to tell you. Um. All right, so when Rafael Fazeev lands the spinning wheel kick on Brad Riddell, you sort of see on the replay the way he kind of makes a a shift in his foot to set up the right angle. And then obviously you have to be accurate with the spinning strike. You don't have to be perfect, right? And, you know, he's not throwing it with every miles per hour within him. I just thought it was just a perfectly executed strike. And in a matchup like this that is so technical, that's rooted in familiarity, um, I just thought it was a a brilliant classic strike to, uh, to end a great, great fight. Yeah, very, very technical, you know, one zig when you should have zagged, which is what happened, and that's that's what happens. That fight I had very close. I don't know how they were going to score that fight, but I, I saw it as very, very close. Definitely you could see both guys knew each other. There wasn't, you know, they knew that the wrong move could end the fight. But, uh, yeah, any any look, anytime you're moving that way, even as a fighter, you have to know that. It's either a left hook or a spin, right? You're going to try to cut the guy off. You go the other way, it's going to be a overhand right or something. So I think that was a a mistake by Riddell just going that way. Right. Still within striking distance, not having right. his hands up, you know, which could have right. prevented a lot of stuff. But if you watch Riddell, he would move with his hands down and he would automatically go into his guard when he was prepared to fight. So he got caught in between. And uh, like, again, these are two high level guys that. I thought Riddell looked great in that fight. I thought right. they both looked great. So, yeah. um, power to a physique. He's on a roll, and uh, that was good. Um, all right, we got some other things that I want to get to. One thing I didn't get to that I just wanted to circle back to real quickly. Um, I shared the pisser with your guy, Aljamain Sterling, Saturday night. And I said to him before the fight, I said, I guess if you're Team Sterling, you just want Rob Font and Jose Aldo to beat the shit out of each other. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but <laughs> as you think about this, I think you're probably thinking about this from a Sterling perspective. So um, what do you think about uh, the unification belt with Jan, Aljo's relative health, and Jose Aldo in terms of factoring into all of that? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, you know, Aljo's got to concentrate on Jan, which obviously is a really hard puzzle to so- uh, solve yeah. at this point. But I think the funny part to me was when I, I looked at they they had like the fights to make and they had, you know, they were throwing. Nobody's even mentioning Marab. I, I'd love to see Marab against Font as the next fight. You know what I mean? I, think, I agree. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why they're bringing up other people. He's, what does he rank? Number five now? 
Marab, it's got to be right there. You know what I mean? So that's very interesting. Yeah, they didn't even mention the guy's name. I mean, which is which is crazy. Did so, you hear uh, me mention his name on live yeah, television? Yeah, hundred percent. I All did. Right. I can't because I can't even pronounce it like you. So every time you say it, I, I like, oh, that's remember. his name, right? Yeah, Wallace Shavala. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so Aljo, look, Aljo's got to worry about one thing, and that's PD on, and that's right, of course. We're not getting past that. I don't think it matters what anybody does until he gets past that fight. Yeah. Uh, So I just thought, you know, going the other way, like Marab needs a fight. I think those make for great fights, man. A five rounder, give him a five rounder because he's not going to stop. And yeah. I know those Marab training camps on the other side are always fun, right? Rooted in takedown defense and getting out of bad positions. And uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how you prepare for somebody like Marab. You know, do you put yourself in the bad spot perpetually in training camp? Or do you say, you know what, we're not going to win this fight if we let him get on our lead leg. So let's just not let him get there. You know, I think that's a very interesting conversation. Yeah, No Um, no matter who you train, though, John, you should be trained in bad positions, right, Kenny? I mean, that should just be, you know, one of the basic things, you know, like, was explained to me even with jujitsu is that you know all you work at the beginning this and i'm going back but you know just mount escape escape the mount you never want to be there right that's not where you want to be right that's why they get you the hell out of there as quick as possible you don't want to settle in while the guy's mounted on you got to keep booking man so same thing those bad positions have to be i don't care who you're fighting right uh, because you never know when they're going to occur and you better you better be used to them um, Cody, if you could text James Krause and back him up five minutes due to Longo's tardiness, we would really appreciate that because I want to get to a couple of these other performances. Well, why else would I be backing him up, man? Like I could handle that off the air, but you were seven minutes late, so I want to buy buy another five minutes out of you. I really appreciate that. So Chris Curtis and this whole MMA, everybody's so sensitive. Commentators, coaches, fighters, you know, everybody's so uh, well, let sensitive. Let me tell you something. Beautiful team. I'll take Bisbing and DC any day. Let them jaw like at each team? other. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> All right. Early. Chris Curtis, the action man over Brendan Allen. Chris Curtis is 6-0 in 2021. This fight has a lot of different storylines, and Chris Curtis won the first round on all three judges' scorecards and is supremely well-coached, and he executes well, and he's an underrated fighter and all of that. Um, but Brendan Allen, to me, I'll lead with Ray, and I want to get Kenny's thoughts on this as well. Like, I feel like sometimes he approaches MMA like it's basketball and that eventually he'll just be able to come back and win the game if things don't go super well. And in MMA, like, you can't fuck around, you know? And I'm not saying he beats Chris Curtis nine times out of ten. You know, maybe if they fight again, Chris Curtis is favored. I'm not trying to take anything away from Chris Curtis, but I hear the other fighters talk about Brendan Allen as this five-tool player, and I think he's that, but, like, you can't just fuck around in this sport and get hit or you're going to pay the ultimate price. And to me, um, I don't know what Henry Hooft has to say, but like, you got to raise the guard, man. You got to be more disciplined because these are setbacks that eventually are going to really get you off your championship trajectory and you're never going to be able to get back up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I'm not even going to address the fight, but I'll just, let's address the mindset. Like something's off, right? Like something technically looks like he's got, he's got the, he's got the physique, he's got the technique, but you don't really, you know, sometimes like you're watching a guy on TV and you don't know him, you know, only the people inside that training room know him. Right. So I'm saying something could possibly be off like more mentally than physically. And you're right. Those those losses will start to affect your head. And, you know, you got to deal with all the people then busting your balls afterwards. Right. You should have did this. You should have did that. Look, it's torture for these guys. But I'd have to really 
get to know the guy and see what what's going on. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree, John. Listen, I, I think that. Um, you know, fundamentally, he was just keeping his head right in that center line, wasn't moving his head, kept dipping his head straight back, offering up a target, uh, and got hit. And it's like, you know, listen, man, if, you, if you're not learning from the first five times, then, you know, it, it's going to happen. The knockout's going to be there, no matter how good your chin is. And Curtis is a hungry fighter who hits hard as hell. Uh, and once he started finding his mark, similar to the Phil Hawes fight, he was going to go right back there until there was a change. And yeah. Brendan Allen was not adapting. And I don't know if it's a stubbornness thing. I don't know if it was a, some kind of other mental thing or just a, a big-time fundamental flaw or a combination of all those things. But right. something needed to change because, right. you know, yeah, how many shots can you take? Uh, even if you're getting the win – how many shots do you want to take? You know, if it's not necessary to take those shots, don't do it. I think at the end of the, you know, at the end of the day here, he didn't have to do that to win that fight. Like he was, he could have, you know, won from the outside and been more technical, slipped his head to the outside and won that fight, but he just didn't take that. It's almost like he's like, all right, we're just going to make it a war. And, you know, how not everybody can go out there and win every single war like that. And I'm not suggesting that he would have been able to take Chris Curtis down if he was rooted in that game plan and that strategy yeah. throughout to submit him. But to me, like yeah. on paper, that's a grappling fight for Brendan exactly. Allen. Like you make 100%. that a grappling fight. Yeah. 100%. I mean, look, I, the other thing too, Kenny, is they're all guys that they develop a way of fighting with their head up, right? Some guys mm -hmm. get away with that. He mm -hmm. looks a little stiff for that. Normally you got to be more elusive and a lot of yeah. head movement. And yeah. So he doesn't look like that guy. So he might just be caught in between what he thinks he should be doing, what he really should be doing. Great but, point. you know, I, I, I don't know. But I, and, I like, again, I think that with everything, John, you got to really know the person because sometimes they look totally different. than you talk to a guy and you go, holy shit, he's out of right. his, you know, he's out sure, of his fucking sure, mind. Like, how sure. is this guy even fighting? So I don't and, know. I think it was Jack Slack who put it. Um, Chris Curtis is one of the best stories and things going on in MMA right now. A guy who had $10 in his bank account and now has back-to-back -back wins over highly touted prospects. Phil Haas and Brendan Allen are like number 16, number 17 in the world, Kenny. You know? And he wants in this weekend. I love it. Right. I mean, like, I he's like, yeah, yeah, anyone who wants to drop out, I'm in. Like, I love, again, I love you the know, guys. Nick Sick and Strickland obviously in his corner, and Strickland doing a great job in terms of some of the communication especially. But, you know, attacking the body, right? And, man, he didn't miss in terms of setting up the fight ending shot hey Chris, talking of, talking about attacking the body did you see my guy justin montalvo this week he's on, on my list is he's he on, on the my list, list. well you know his dad to. cody alerted us to the fact that his father is an anakin florian podcast listener hey uh, well on, listen ernie Mr. shout out montalvo. to ernie montalvo listen it's it's great to see a bond between a father and son like these two guys have ernie's just there's nothing this guy wouldn't do for his kids. Nothing. Like, he's just just a great guy. And just a shout-out to Ernie. Definitely helped me out a lot this weekend. And just a, just a great guy. And, and Justin, I thought, you know, first time in a bigger promotion. He yeah. did, did absolutely phenomenal. You know, maybe fell in love with the body shots a little too much. But that's what he loves, man. And he's he's good. He's he's really, really good. Beautiful takedown defense. Uh, I thought he the kid... I thought it was a perfect fight, and he got three rounds in of, uh, of you know, letting his hands go against a very tough kid who he couldn't get rid of. You know what yeah. I mean? So, right, congrats, Ray, that's awesome. Yeah, no, good times for uh, for the Ray Longo fight team. There's no doubt about it, including the president of your fan club, Cody Merrow, our producer. Wait, 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 let me clear this up. It's the Sarah Longo fight team. Stop with the Ray Longo fight team. Why are you doing that to that guy, Sarah Longo? <laughs> 
It's my lawyers. It's not. It's not John. It's my lawyers. He's such a Cody man. This has nothing to I'm do not, with I'm not, to, I'm not trying to get sued. Yeah, holy crap. <laughs> Dude, come on, John. Team Sarah Longo. It's no and shade Matt's to Sarah. Let me I just say, Sarah. Matt's done a great job with this guy's jiu-jitsu. He's Bro, very, he's on, very hard to all submit. Right. Yeah. What, like, then why, how come your all of your athletes are buying this gear, okay? So you can blame Cody. The Ray Longo fight team gear has nothing to do with me, okay? <laughs> Sarah Longo, I won't, you know. Holy it's, it, John, is it because he has a rival podcast? Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, oh are you rivals now? I know Who, he's, he's got a rival. Podcast. I don't know. I don't know. He, I don't know if they I don't know if we are, you know, if we're rivals. If the listeners. Oh right, are, gotcha. I yeah, 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 I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Matt Sarah's gonna have a word with you, Johnny. Um, he didn't even yeah. say hi to me. I mean, in the door. He just guys, wanted to be up. upset about the Ray Longo fight team gear, which there's <laughs> no roots or any direct. There's nothing. You could look at my cell phone. The origination had nothing to do with me. Or, this guy or, can't or, even say hi or, to me in New York. Off. He's coming up saying, "What are you wearing this?" <laughs> hey, aren't you? Aren't you guys blunt buddies? I mean, aren't they, you guys, uh, yeah. there's no <laughs> loyalty. There kind of yes. is no loyalty with blunt buddies. I'm telling you, I there's thought, a different I thought loyalty there. Uh, we'll have to. I hope we can bury the hatchet. I just was. I thought it was a little off-putting the way I was approached in New York City. When again, this had everything to do with Cody and nothing to do with me. But no, we're all happy for the team's success. And um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else on this spike. Oh yeah. All right. Dude, William Knight is a <laughs> specimen. I can't even call his Wait, fight. Is it, but is there any way he's not on something? Is that can that possibly? He's clean. Be- he's clean. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's clean. Unbelievable. A guy, he's jacked he's beyond a, jack. He's a weight room warrior. He's a hell of a light heavyweight. And even though maybe uh, I thought this fight uh, was Alonzo Menafield's and maybe I would have scored it that way, all three judges had it for William Knight, power to him, rep at East Hartford, Connecticut. Um, but I'm just saying, like, I found myself, if you go back, like, I didn't call the fight. I'm stopping and staring as a play-by-play announcer. We stop calling the fight because I can't take my eyes off William Knight. The dude's just a fucking gangster. Man. Nah, he's, he's making the best of his time in the UFC, I can tell you that. And he's got heart, too. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't yeah, like no, to he cut weight. Little, you know? He had some adversity. He did good. Yeah, 100%. Kenny, I don't know if you have anything for us on that. Uh, that third round, obviously, Alonzo Menafield had some control in the clinch, but then William Knight had the bigger moments largely right. uh, on the feet. I and I think that's what that did was the difference. Yeah. yeah, that was the difference. Yeah. And At I think as we all try to. That was the difference. Every time he did something, it was like, holy crap. You know, he's just flinging them all over the place. But yeah. I thought Menafield did do a good job. And I, I'd have to go back and look. I don't even know how he would have scored that fight. But uh, I, I, I actually thought Menafield was going to get the nod. If you are going to classify what Zoe was doing, Kenny, as octagon control, then I think you give the round to William Knight because octagon control is not even a secondary consideration. It's tertiary, which means that you don't go to it unless it's a tiebreaker situation. Maybe that's probably the way we put it on broadcast, that octagon control is kind of like a tiebreaker if you can't produce a winner. All right, Raymond, you got anything else for us? Uh, Uh Go ahead. I mean, a real shout-out to Clay Guida. I mean, come on, man. The guy's going to turn 40. Yeah. This guy's been around forever, still energy off the charts. I mean, great seeing his his parents. I got to meet him one time, just salt to the earth, awesome. earth people. They're just great, great people. This is a great story. Clay Guida, I think that's the story. The guy's 40s, not stopping. I don't know, you know, it's just a, I, I was so happy for the guy winning because, yeah. you know, I mean, choking out an eight-time Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion, that's crazy. Yeah. 
Unbelievable. Um, all right. Uh, Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira, UFC lightweight championship this weekend. Do you have a prediction for our listeners? I'm going with Dustin Poirier. Okay. All right. It's amazing. I, I will find people who are picking Charles before the end of uh, the Oh, week. wow. Every, nobody's picking Charles? Well, I think it's closer to a pick em. Uh We'll see what Ken Flo and James Krause and Joe Osborne have to say later today. I thought it would be closer to a pick em. Um Dustin is in the minus 170 range or so, and it seems like most people that I talk to, fighters, coaches, are picking Dustin. So we'll see. I mean, look, I mean, Dustin has fought some unbelievable competition. He's yeah. on a roll. Uh, you know, uh, Oliveira has broken and, you know, go back to the Felder fight. I think it's going to be similar to that where he just gets broken down by a big, strong guy. And, um, right. that's the way I'm seeing it. All right, my man. Great to see you. Oh, it's all love. This, you guys, you I'm guys man. don't even know what you did for my Monday morning. No idea. Yeah. Fucking ruined it completely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. They're great times. John, what are, what's going on with you? Nothing, man. I, I it's all good love, things. Just, it's all good things, you know. I'll take it up with, with that Maddie. Posture, yeah, that posturing where you fold your arms like a hey, motherfucker. Yeah. What'd you right, say? Right. You're looking at I, me? You're looking at me? Say, looking I've given at me? my haters a there lot of ammunition today, you know, right? They just want to punch this supposed not tough guy like right in the teeth. Oh, Come wow. get some then. That's right. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what you got back. In Ken Flo's even probably going to turn on me by the end of the show. Hey, we got to go. We love you, though. Hey, right, thank take you. it easy, guys. We'll see you next Monday. Huh? Right. Take care. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. And as you just heard, the long-awaited battle between Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier is on and popping this Saturday at UFC 269. One guarantee for you is that fists will fly, and that's great because new DraftKings Sportsbook customers can bet just $1 and win $100 in free bets. If either fighter lands a singular punch, that's all it takes, one jab, cross, hook, uppercut, haymaker, or hammer fist, the lightweight title bout scheduled for five rounds. Can you imagine if this fight ended with like a Charles Oliveira flying armbar without a punch being landed on either side? There's no way. So you bet just $1 on this no-brainer and win $100 in free bets. DraftKings, safe, secure, and reliable. Of that, I can assure you, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw 24-7, 365, whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app to your phone or device right now. Use promo code ANIC. Throw just $1 down on the UFC 269 main event and win $100 in free bets if Oliveira or Poirier land a punch. That's code ANIC, A-N-I-K, this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook. The official sports betting partner of UFC must be 21 or older. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. All right, eight picks to make for UFC 269. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, and back by popular demand. I feel less handsome every time this guy enters the room. At the James Krause on social media, UFC veteran and my 2020 Coach of the Year, James Krause. What's good, man? How was your weekend? Well, it depends on from what perspective you're looking at. From a betting perspective, not very good. Yeah. <laughs> not very um, good. Uh, are you uh, – yeah, We're good. You wheels up to Vegas with Derek Minner in a few days or what? You got it. On Wednesday, I'll be there. That's a That's fun standard. one. That's a really interesting one, man. Like, I'll tell you what. I, uh, coaching against a guy like Ryan Hall, like – everything that I teach, you have to like unwind with a guy like Ryan Hall, because I'm very big on, on like half guard and 
throwing one hook in on the back, but like with a guy like a good leg locker, like Ryan Hall, you can't do any single leg isolation at all ever, like ever. Right. So like, it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting. It's been really fun for me to coach, uh, against, you know, no takedowns. Uh, I, and I shouldn't say no takedowns, but like selective takedowns on, on how you're doing that, but like zero single leg isolation, which is completely against everything that I teach in grappling for MMA. Wow. That's fascinating. I'm glad that uh, you got that out there to our listenership. Too bad Ken is not going to be in the Ryan Hall corner. You guys would be coaching against each other. But uh, <laughs> fascinating matchup nonetheless. And uh, I believe your guy Derek Minner is the favorite right now. Uh, is that no, true? He's, Do you know the he's the dog? He's plus 200, I think. Is he really? Oh, wow. <clears throat> Very interesting. That is not a lean. I just uh, I had that flip flopped. I think. Um, all right. Last week, Kenflo led the way two and three on his picks. Kraus goes one and four. Uh, both of Kenflo's hits were underdogs, though. Jose Man, that was Aldo ten in. seconds away, bro. Get out of here. I was ten I seconds away from oh, the over if, on that. Well, I know. Um, That's Kenflo. Crazy. Two and three, but his underdogs were winners, Jose Aldo and Clay Guida. So if you did trail Ken Flo $100 on all of his plays, uh, you were in the black plus $15, um, even with a sub-500 record. Just wanted to point that out. Um, eight picks today, guys. So we'll try to be uh, John, somewhat uh, – go ahead. John, I like I liked that. Like, I would be curious to see – so for 2022, adding up, right, both James and I's picks, all that stuff, assuming everything – and seeing what the cum like what the cumulative effort is at the end of the year, like monetarily, would be really yeah. interesting. We, I don't think we've well, ever done it before, but I like the way you're doing it now. Does yeah, that make sense? no, and I think that that's we're trying to figure out a scoring system for next year. Yeah. The tricky thing is that's got to that be the way, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's got to be the way. The tricky thing is that so if you be, if you guys pick Brendan Allen and he's minus three twenty, right? So if you're putting a hundred bucks on Brendan Allen, you're only winning thirty three dollars. You know what I mean? So it right. just has to. I just have to figure out how I want to handle the math because both of you guys pick Brendan Allen. I believe that's minus three hundred and twenty dollars if you're trying to win a right. hundred bucks, right? So right. I just oh, have yeah, to navigate the math. Right. But I do yeah, think yeah. that's the way um, to go. All right. First fight for us. This is a prelim at heavyweight. Largely, we're picking it because it's a pick'em, and uh, it piques my interest. Um, minus one ten on both sides right now on DraftKings Sportsbook. Tie to Ivasa and Augusto Sakai. So you know, to Ivasa, James, you know, would have been easy for him to kind of pack it in with three straight losses, you know. But he did some work, particularly when it comes to the wrestling. Now he's won three in a row. Your thoughts on him here against uh, Sakai? Gosh, dang man, it's it. This is a really tough one because I feel like Sakai is extremely underrated at heavyweight and uh he is durable enough to take some of ty's punches his volume is a little like my my gripe with with tui Vasa is his volume that's my complaint with him is his volume is not high enough and uh he always looks for that one my problem is 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 uh oh, man that one's a hammer i you know what i'm gonna lean a uh, a uh, sakai here yeah, it is a hard fight to pick, right? I think Sakai, Sakai. to some people, is the lesser-known quantity, right? Started his UFC career 4-0 and and then got a couple of back-to-back -back UFC main events. He went 25 minutes or close to it with Alistair Overeem, I believe, before being finished, then stopped by Biggie Boy uh, last June. What do you think, Ken Flo? Tuivasa and Sakai, I pick him here. Yeah, this and rightfully so. I think this is a close one to call. I, I'm going to go with Tuivasa. I think that... His power is not to be underestimated. I think if he's able to get on the inside and and hurt Sakai, he can get the finish. But it is tough, like James said. You know, but both these guys, I think, kind of suffer from that lack of volume. But they are heavyweights. But let's go with Tuivasa. 
see if Tuivasa goes leg kick heavy against Sakai early. Prelim at Bantamweight, also a pick him right now. Number eight, Pedro Munoz, minus 110. 10th ranked, Dominic Cruz is minus 110. Munoz, James, off a loss to Jose Aldo in August. Cruz uh, has had nine months or so since his win over Casey Kenny back in March. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I'm, this is another really tough one. Uh, I, I, I want to lean. Uh, I want to leave lean Pedro Munoz. And I got to be honest with you guys; these, these two fights, I don't feel good about either one of them. You know, so yeah, I would. I would rather. I would rather the play be like I get to pick which ones I get to pick. You know, right, but since right, we're just going right. down the line, this is this is a little uh, this is a little tougher. But uh, I'm going to lean Pedro Munoz here. Um, I like the footwork of Cruz. I think he's he's great. I just I feel like he everything's catching up to him a little bit. I think he's great still. Uh, but I do think the game is catching up to him a little bit and, uh, I'm going to lean Pedro Munoz here. I like Pedro. He's, uh, very smart kicks, kicks. Well, big puncher, uh, good, uh, good guillotine. He's got a lot of good stuff. Uh, it's a coin flip fight for me. I'm just telling you guys my gut. I don't feel good about either one of these, uh, about either one of these picks, but I'm leaning Pedro Munoz on this one. I had some of those same sentiments about Dominic Cruz in terms of some question marks going into the Casey Kenny fight. And full disclosure, he's one of my best friends in the world. But Kenny, you know this. Like, I wasn't sure if his speed would still be there. And I think for his footwork, he needs to still have that quickness. And I felt like largely he did have it against Casey Kenny. Um, I would also say to you, Kenny, style-wise you got to think Cruzy like this matchup. Otherwise, a guy at this stage of his career, as thoughtful as he is, he probably wouldn't have taken it. Um, what are your thoughts on Dominic Cruz against Pedro Munoz here, Kenny? Listen, I, I think uh, Pedro Munoz is a very dangerous guy. Uh, and Dominic is going to need an answer to those leg kicks as far as getting cut up as he tries to loop around and find his angles. So um, Dom has been around a long time. I think he's... Very self-aware, though, as far as, you know, his capabilities, his vulnerabilities. Uh, and, you know, one of the smartest fighters in the game. I still think that he has it. And I agree with both you guys that, you know, hey, as you get older, you're not going to be as fast. And his footwork is a major, major, major part of his game. Uh, has it diminished a little bit? Maybe. Um, but I still think Dominic has enough. I still think he's crafty enough. I still think he's going to be able to confuse Munoz. Munoz, to be effective, needs guys right in front of him. And I don't think Dom is that guy. So uh, if Dom can stay on that bike, stay moving, sh shoot and move, you know, maybe yeah. hit some takedowns, maybe land some shots and keep moving, I think Dominic Cruz uh, wins this fight. But this is a, a fascinating, fascinating one to see if Dominic um, is losing a step or not. But uh, yeah. I still think Dominic absolutely is one of the best bantamweights in the world. Yeah, I think he's going to I've literally changed my pick. As you guys were talking, I've literally <laughs> in my head changed my pick three times. All right. I'm like, no, well, hey, no he's Rhett, got a point. And then I was like, no. <laughs> for the record, you always reserve the right to text Cody yes. uh, and change your selection up until flight time. And he will uh, update the masses just... on social media. So, um, all right, moving on. Huge fight at featherweight, guys. Josh Emmett, minus 220, Dan Ige, plus 180. So Emmett back from the invasive knee surgery and the extended rehab that followed the Shane Burgos war and win, which came June of 2020. So, James, pretty remarkable uh, given the severity of the knee injury. 17 months or so, Emmett is back in a high-profile spot. About a 2-1 to -one favorite here against Dan Ige. Your thoughts? I have bet against Ige too many times. Too many times. Huh. And uh, – Man, I just 
I don't know why either. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why. And he's, he's, I've lost a lot of money on him. And then I got smart and then I've, I've won a lot of money on him. However, I do feel like Emmett is just a really, really difficult matchup for him, man. Uh, Emmett is, is, he can wrestle. He's got power. He's got great boxing. I mean, this is another really difficult matchup because Ige is one of those guys that just doesn't go away. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think Emmett's going to get tired, though. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. And he has the capability to knock anybody out. Uh, I just I, – this one's really tough. I'm, I'm going to lean Emmett. Uh, I, I'm going to say Josh Emmett, but I don't feel good about this one either, man. I could see Ige. Right. Uh, Ige is one of those guys that sticks around and, like, he's like a Clay Guida kind of – you know what I mean? Which, which yeah. by the way – which, by the hey. way – I totally forgot. That's the honest answer. Okay. Right. I absolutely had every intention. I thought it was a brilliant analogy by you and I couldn't work Chihuahua into the telecast, not because (laughs) I didn't have windows. Right. But yeah, I think maybe because the fight got so crazy. I don't know. It just didn't even cross my goddamn. I know. It didn't cross (laughs) my mind. I can't believe it didn't cross my mind. Like I would have had to have probably written Chihuahua down on my fight fighter card to make sure. It it wasn't a good enough comeback for you, John, for you to use that analogy. Okay. All right. Next time. Those Chihuahuas can really take fucking kicks right to the liver, though. I tell you. Um, Penflo, um, we got to move. We got fucking six fights to go. No, no, no. Real quick, a little background for you on Josh Emmett, right? Because. He's won three in a row. He's 16 and two overall. He's 36 years old, number seven in the world. I could see him getting fast tracked to a title fight. Um, I know Holloway and Volkanovsky, and if you look at the top five, there are other guys, but I could see him getting fast tracked to a title fight because he's he's underappreciated. His power is next level. And if he wins four in a row and gets a finish here, you know, he'd have the winning streak that I think would be worthy. Do you think he can get past Danny? Uh, I do. Uh, I'm going to go with Josh Emmett as well. I think his speed and his movement is going to be the difference here. Both these guys hit like a Mack truck and are capable of knocking out the other. But I do think Josh Emmett's speed uh, and his variety of weapons, I think, is a little bit better. He's a little bit better of an athlete. I'm going with Emmett here. Ige coming off a unanimous decision loss in a five-round main event to the Korean Zombie on June 19th. Um, and that brings us to the main card. Sean O'Malley, minus 320. Howley and Piva, plus 250. So Piva's got the red corner because he was actually the only ranked guy in this matchup at some point. Um, but he wasn't ranked when I checked this morning. When he fought Kyler Phillips, Phillips was number 14 in the world. Piva took his ranking. Now he's no longer ranked. Nonetheless, despite being the underdog, Piva gets the red corner uh, against Sean O'Malley, who James is not ranked, but I do believe O'Malley to be one of the top 15 Bantamweights in the world. How do you handicap this matchup for the Sugar Show against Howley and Piva? Yeah, this is a tough one. Uh, I'm going to take O'Malley, but, man, I would definitely sprinkle in uh, uh, Pavia or Pavia? 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 Piva. Piva. I would sprinkle Piva uh, by finish. Just – I don't see this fight going the distance. I really don't. Uh, I'm just tough, man, but I, I do feel like stylistically uh, O'Malley's a sharpshooter, man. I, I do think he's going to find him. Uh, but I like the under – I don't know what the over-under is, but I like does not go the distance in this in this fight. And if you want to get a little gangster, put uh, someone on Piva as well to not go the distance. Kempflo, Sean O'Malley, 14-1 and one overall, 6-1 and one in the UFC. Last win, of course, against the durable Chris Mutino. We mentioned Piva over Kyler Phillips. What do you think about this one here as Piva goes for the biggest win of his career? This is interesting, man. Piva is very tough, very skilled. Um, curious to see if he's able to present some problems for O'Malley, but 
uh, O'Malley, very skilled man, moves extremely well. Uh, I think that, you know, if O'Malley is still hungry and, you know, training like he is and improving like he is, I think this is uh, O'Malley's fight. Um, can, can, he, can he win by finish? I don't know, but I, I do like O'Malley here. I think both of these guys are underrated. The one thing I can guarantee to our audience based upon my interactions with Sean O'Malley, like you don't have to worry about the commitment. Like he wants to be great. He's a willing grappler. Um, I'm excited to see his future, but obviously a big test for him and Hallie and Pive. All right. At flyweight, Cody Garbrandt making his UFC flyweight debut. He's minus 170 against Kai Cara France, who is plus 150. First fight for both guys, obviously, is the scale, but particularly so uh, for Cody Garbrandt on Friday. I'd imagine most people would at least want to see him on the scale before uh, venturing a wager. Perhaps not. Um, he's certainly a disciplined athlete, not a huge frame, James. What do you think about Garbrandt's flyweight debut? I'm going to take Garbrandt here, uh, but, man, I just in this day and age, you just don't see a lot of people, especially that 35 to 25 jump. That seems right. to be like a kryptonite for some reason. You know, we've talked about that before, I think. And uh, I haven't seen a lot of guys do that and, and look good. Uh, right. I am going to take Garbrandt here, though. I am going to take Garbrandt here. I feel like uh, he's got his hand speed is incredible, the fastest in the division probably. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean Garbrandt. I don't think this fight goes the distance either. Ken Flo, if I was going to cut from 35 to 25, I'd probably use EPO. I think that would probably be uh, <laughs> the best way to uh, to do it. Um, is that legal? What do you is think that legal? here? Is that, is that, I don't think so. Substance? I don't think okay. so. Um, uh, Cara France knocked out Rogerio Bonturin at UFC at 259 in March. Um, what do you think, Ken Flo? Are you going with Garbrandt or the hyphen Kai Cara France? Jeez, man. Um, you know, James brought up a lot of great points here. Um, I, I think going down to 125 pounds for the first time and then performing uh, against a tough guy in Kai Cara France is not an easy out for Cody Garbrandt at all. And I feel like this is quite possibly the most important fight of his life in a lot of ways because wh where does he go from here? I think what makes Cody special is his power, his speed, and his footwork. And we have yet to see that combination where he put it all together like he did against Dominic Cruz. And that's concerning for me. I I, I want to see that Cody Garbrandt again, and we haven't quite seen it. Against Kai Kaikara France, this guy moves a lot, and he's crafty, he's slick, he knows how to move about the octagon. Um, this is going to be a fascinating fight. I think the difference here, of course, is Cody Garbrandt's power. If Cody catches him just right, I, I think he could you know, put uh, Kaikara France to sleep. Um, Kai can hit well, but it's going to take more combination work for him to do that. This is tough. I'm going to go with Cody, but I would like to see how the weight cut goes. I'd like to see how, how the scale situation unfolds, um, to see how he looks, how he feels. Uh, but uh, I, I'll stay with Cody here as well, uh, but want to see how he looks. All right, next up, guys. Featured bout at welterweight. And the third pick -em of the day, Jeff Neal minus 110, Santiago Ponzinibbio minus 110 as well. James, what do you think? Big fight here at 70. Man, I liked Jeff Neal a lot in this fight until I've seen the the, the thing the other day. He, had, he got like a DUI or something. I right. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing here? We're drunk two weeks before a fight. I, I just I don't quite understand that. Um, and that that you know what he does on his in his personal life is his own business. I'm not trying to knock him there, but like, what are we doing here, man? Like, you know what I mean? Like that's that. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I liked him a lot in that fight. Uh, uh, I'm going to stay with him, I guess. But, man, like, you know, I'm hoping that it was just a one-off. It was on Thanksgiving, so I'm hoping he just, you know, 
Right. But maybe, maybe, and you don't, I don't know the whole story. I don't know if like, if he was actually like hammered or, you know, just blowing like whatever the alcohol a little bit over can be, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't have to be drunk to, to, to blow over the legal limit or what. I don't know the story. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. I just don't like reading those headlines two weeks before a fight is all I'm saying. Of course. No, I get it. And uh, he is going to fight, right? I did talk to his head coach, Safe Saud, and it was sort of a one-off. And I think they all believe that the blood alcohol level is going to come in low enough that will make the weapons charge go away. Um, because I think oh, perfect. maybe there's something that if the weapon is – you know, if you're drinking, the weapon becomes illegal. I don't know. I mean, uh, it yeah. is what it is, right? But I can understand why maybe it would give somebody pause to go bet on Jeff Neal. Um, yeah. He's the last guy, Kenny, that I would expect to be uh, getting a mugshot, candidly, you know. Um, but on the other side, you have Santiago Ponzinibbio, who had so much pressure on him going into the Miguel Baeza fight, right? It was an absolute war against Caramel Thunder, who was very highly thought of. And for Ponzinibbio, it came off of that vicious knockout loss to Li Jing Leong. So back was up against the wall, came up large in a big way, got the bonus, and um, he has a good mentality, I think, having seen him this weekend going into the Jeff Neal fight. Flow, your thoughts. Yeah, listen, um, I, I think for Jeff, uh, you know, I, I think he doesn't, take as many risks as Ponzinibbio. And because of that, I, I think that's a good thing. Ponzinibbio, it's hard for him to not fight recklessly sometimes. And because of that, I like Jeff Neal's odds here. I think he's a guy who hits very hard. Ponzinibbio also, it, you know, brings so much offense at times where he can overwhelm guys. Is Jeff Neal the guy to get overwhelmed, however? I don't think so. I, I think Jeff Neal finds a way uh, to answer uh, those flurries and, and that chaos and and finds a way to to get the win here. But uh, fascinating fight. Uh, I'll go with Jeff, and I hope he sorts out what's, what's uh, going on outside the octagon. All right, co-headliner, Amanda Nunes, minus 900. Juliana Pena, plus 600. I probably should have chased the props for you guys. We'll need the round and the method of victory and how you're going to attack this on the board. So first, Bantamweight defense for Nunes since the Jermaine Durandamy win. That was December 2019. On the other side, Pena earned this championship opportunity with a submission of Sarah McMahon in January. That was at UFC 257 on Fight Island. What kind of chance, Jimmy Krause, are we giving Juliana Pena this weekend? Level with me. Uh, Amanda's Amanda. I mean, I mean, yeah. she's the GOAT for a reason. Uh, I'm going to go Amanda, third-round TKO. I think okay. – I, I could see Juliana having some moments where maybe she gets like a takedown, you know what I mean, or puts on the fence, stalls her out for a minute. Amanda is just so powerful. She's so aggressive. Uh, she doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I think – I just think she's better everywhere than – I think she's a better grappler than Pena. I think she's better – obviously a better striker, better wrestler. Uh, I could see Pena stalling her out a little bit. I just don't – I don't, I, I don't see it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like often we get in these times with these, with these huge high profile fights where it's like, they seem invincible. Uh, I don't think Amanda's invincible. I just think she's a really, really difficult matchup for Pena. Yeah, that's interesting because when I talk to coaches, Kenny, about their athletes, when they're like a minus 900 or minus 1000 favorite, they always just come back and talk about the fight, however humbly, right? But with Amanda, it's just interesting because I just talked to Pahumpa. It's like, oh, what do you think about Amanda? And they just almost respond the way James did. It's like they're just as blown away being in that training room. And I think when you're a part of a Nunes training camp, it's just – it's hard to imagine her ever losing to another woman in almost any weight class. Um, what are your thoughts on on Nunes taking on someone in Pena who, if nothing else, is one of the meanest women in MMA? 
it's kind of like taking on the United States military. You're like, well, yeah. well, can, 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 we, can we get their navy? Are we? Do we have a better navy than them? No, 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 we don't know. Well, do we have more money than the military? No, 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 we don't have it there. All right, well, what about our army? Uh, nope. Marines, no. Uh, Air Force, nah. Yeah. Shoot. Well, what do we do? We just try to survive <laughs> for as long as possible. It's like, yeah, you know, Amanda Nunes. She's got so many weapons. She's got so many tools. And man, when she throws them, people get hurt and get hurt badly. Um, you know, and and I think the the, the fact that this fight, it, this is at thirty five, right? Um, you know, I think that. You, you got to imagine she's going to have to be working hard to get down to that weight and all that stuff. She's had a nice break to kind of work on those skills and get that weight down and all that stuff. Amanda's a problem. And the only one who beats Amanda is Amanda. Um, you know, and it's no disrespect to, to Pena or anybody else in that division. It's just, she's just that damn good. Now, Pena's got some good grappling skills. She's feisty. She's tough. She gets you on the ground. She can beat you up with some gr good ground and pound. But can she can she weather that storm early? Can't she get those takedowns early to try to disrupt Amanda Nunes? I don't think so. And I think Nunes comes out hot, um, hurts Nun uh, hurts Pena early, uh, and gets the win in the first round. I'll, I'll go with first round uh, TKO here by uh, by Nunes. And wouldn't that be something? All right. Main event for the undisputed UFC lightweight championship. Deep breaths, folks. Dustin Poirier, minus 165. Charles Oliveira, plus 145. Don't think you guys need any setup for me, really, on this one. It's the first undisputed title defense for Oliveira. Poirier trying to complete his mission on the other side, become the undisputed UFC champion, and likely end 2021 uh, as the fighter of the year. Who wins the main event, James Krause, and ultimately how do they get it done? Guys, especially in this sport, there is great value and just not going away. And I think Dustin Poirier has made a career off of not going away. And I think Oliveira is incredible, incredible, extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. And uh, his striking has improved drastically. Uh, his grappling is phenomenal. Maybe the, the best in the division. Uh, if this fight hits the ground, Poirier's got some big problems. However, if you are 19 and a half minutes into this fight, you have a cut over your eye, you're tired, your eyes is half swollen shut. There's not many people on the planet Earth that I would want next to me other than Dustin Poirier. This dude is the definition of a winner. He finds ways to win fights, and that's – I don't, guys, I don't even know. I don't, I think the way I look at this is Oliver is for sure a better striker. Or I'm sorry, for sure a better grappler. He's probably just as good of a wrestler, if not better. Their striking's technically pretty close. Danger factor goes to Oliveira. But I'm telling you, man, there is value in just not going away. And, yeah. and Poirier's a guy that I want on my side if, if the times are getting tough. And there's, there's blood everywhere. We're tired. I've seen Oliveira go away in the past, and I've seen Poirier be in spots to where it would be okay to go away and nobody would say otherwise. And he chooses not to. Every, every time. No right, hesitation. Right. None. Zero. He, <laughs> matter of fact, if this is going away, he goes here. Right? right. Like, yes, I'm, I'm going to it. And, uh, man, huh. I, I can't bet against a guy like that. That just – he's a winner, man. He finds ways to win. Uh, I think he's going to find a way to win on Saturday. 
So right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, over one and a half rounds, minus 175. Under one and a half is plus 145. Um, how do you see this fight ending, James, if you had to pick? TKO, over one and a half. All right. Ken Flo, main event, man. Jimmy, James laid it out for you. How do you see it going down? He laid it out beautifully. I, I think that Oliveira has a tremendous amount of skill. Uh, you look at his improvements over the years, it, it's been amazing to watch and just to see him uh, become champion at 155 pounds. But uh, I think James nailed it. I think that, um, you know, Dustin Poirier is a guy that is, has kind of proven over the last few fights to be uh, somewhat unkillable. Um, you know, can he get submitted? Do I see that going down that way? Yeah, that that could definitely happen. Um, but at this stage of the game, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Dustin Poirier is too tough. And if we've seen Oliveira with a weakness, now we haven't seen that in a little while, but uh, it's the fact that he tends to fade if the fight gets crazy, if it gets chaotic, if it comes down to whose heart is bigger, uh, you can get Oliveira out of there. And if Dustin Poirier does that, like he's done with Connor, like he's done in previous fights, even against guys Hooker. who have shown that, like Justin Gaethje and Alvarez Gaethje, and Hooker. Hooker, you know, Hooker. I mean, it's like, you know, if you have durability, if you prove yourself to be unkillable, well, that's a superpower. And Dustin Poirier has shown that as of late. It eventually goes away over time, but I don't think that's wearing on Dustin Poirier just yet. I still think he's hungry. This is one of the biggest opportunities again in his life. It's a tremendous matchup for him. I think he I think he knows that this is very achievable. Uh, and I think he's trained his ass off uh, despite, you know, a, a busier schedule, having those five-round fights, as we mentioned last week. I yeah. still think he has enough to go out there and get it done against Oliveira. I think I think he gets it done in round three, uh, TKO. Round three, TKO for Dustin Poirier is Ken Flo's main event selection. If you want more from James Krause, and why would you fucking not? It's at the James Krause on social media. I look forward to shaking your hand, brother, uh, at the weigh-in on Friday as you'll be there with Derek Minner, and I wish you all the best in that fight. Appreciate your contributions as always, my man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. There he is, James Krause, with us for the main event challenge every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Our final order of business is the pick to click. It's presented by oddshark.com, the most reliable source for sports betting information. With the latest odds, insight, and analysis on everything UFC, I would strongly encourage you to check out oddshark.com slash UFC to get all you need to know before placing your bets on UFC 269 this weekend. I mentioned that Oddshark Fight Center, great resource for fans. I know the media uses it as well. All the matchup information presented in a nice, logical way. Oddshark also giving you a compilation of all the odds from various sports books as well, so you can compare prices. And they're experts, not only insightful, like our kid Joey Osborne, but they're invested in mixed martial arts. They have been capping MMA for a long time. So please check it out in advance of UFC 269. Every click supports the Anakin Florian podcast. Oddshark.com slash UFC. See, don't forget the second S. All right, let us get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner, and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Hey, on hey. social media at JTFOZ and on Instagram. I guess I should say the Twitter's JTFOZ. Mm-hmm. The Instagram is Paper Chaser Joe. 
And I've been known to click on his videos more than once for their their comedic value. It's good to see you, man. What's going on? Guys, I'm so basking in the glow of correctly picking Jose Aldo as an underdog there over the weekend. And a lot of people were against me on that one. But I see Aldo as a guy who's just chronically undervalued. And I think it has to do with when Aldo loses, he tends to lose pretty bad. Like he tends to get beat up and people judge him too harshly on that. But I was just looking at his odds last week against some of these guys. You know, he closed as an underdog versus Jeremy Stevens. Like, just chronically undervalued this guy. So I was very, very happy with that result on Saturday. That's interesting that he closes a dog against Jeremy Stevens. I'm trying to think about what Stevens did leading up to that fight. And we all remember the body shot that crippled Stevens. But uh, yeah, man, like when people were reaching out to me, um, you know, I know the New England cartel pretty intimately. Mm. And I'm just looking at... Jose Otto plus 130. Obviously, Ken Flo was on that side. Um, good on you. So, all right, as I understand it, you have three different ways you're going yeah. for the fight card this weekend. Let's begin where we just sort of came off of, the Dustin Poirier-Charles Oliveira main event. So, Dustin in most spots right now is in the minus 165, minus 170 range. I probably talked to a dozen fighters slash coaches, and all 12 of them are picking Dustin Poirier. I think this fight... Uh, is a little closer than minus 165, but obviously um, my brethren do not agree. So how do you handicap the main event, and will you have a play? Yeah, so this thing has the potential to be an absolute firefight, right? Like a real fast-paced fight with a lot of action. And when you have a fight like this, I'm going to take the guy who's clearly more durable and the guy who clearly deals better with adversity. So you know where I'm going with this. I'm taking Dustin Poirier and siding with the uh, the 12 people you spoke to yeah. in this one, right? So. We've seen it so many times in Poirier's career where he's lost exchanges, he's lost rounds, he's gotten beaten up in fights by his comeback to win those fights. I don't think we have too many examples of that for Charles Oliveira, who got bailed out in his most recent fight versus Michael Chandler. We discussed this last time I was on here, right? So, um, and we've also looked at the body work for each of these guys. Poirier has, has faced a much, much, much higher level of competition. It is not even close. Like, uh, you can't really knock Charles's win streak. If you put a win streak together at this level of the sport, that's very impressive. But those names do not come close to the list that Poirier has fought over his last eight fights, where he is seven and one with six finishes in those fights. You know, finished McGregor twice, Doctor Stoppageer, Dan Hooker, Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, uh, Anthony Pettis finishes finishes in six of those seven fights. So um, I like him to win. Um, I have no problem just betting them straight up at the number. Right. I think it's around minus 165, but uh, take them to win inside the distance, plus 100, even money, pretty good value on that. Yeah, I don't think it's going five rounds for sure. I uh, I do maybe lean towards over a round and a half or so, mm. but um, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see us get a finish inside the distance. Um, all right, and you have a couple other plays. Are you going to attack this, Amanda Nunez, uh, Comain, or not? Yeah, what is she, minus 700, minus uh yeah, Better stop minus... that price there, Joel. Yeah, so um, as I often say, I don't come on the podcast and give out picks for massive favorites like this. There's no value in that. There's not a lot of people interested in making those type of bets, right? Um, minus 900 on climbing. I'm seeing Cody just put in the chat there. Wow. So, yeah, uh, when Amanda Nunez eventually does lose, I think it's either going to be as a result of father time or perhaps an elite wrestler who's able to hold her down for 25 minutes. I don't think that person's on the UFC roster right now. So 
I'm going to take her to win, but we got to go into the prop markets here. And you take a look at uh, Amanda's fight log here, and she's a bit all or nothing in terms of the length of her fights. And what I mean by that is she's either going to finish you early in the first round or the fight's going to go to a decision or go into the fifth round. You take a look at her seven fights since 2017. She finished three of them in the first round, and the other four either went to decision or were finished in the fifth round. So where I'm going with this is the over under one and a half rounds. I like the over at minus 125. Um, I do think Juliana Pena has the ability to stretch this out at least until the round and a half mark here. So, you know, what's her strategy coming into this fight? I think she would be very, very silly to stand there and try to strike with Amanda, at least early on in the fight when she's at her most freshness. Um, so I think she's going to be aggressive with her takedowns. I think she's going to try to make it dirty, go for some tie-ups, push up against the cage, and I think that's going to be able to chew the clock. Now, Juliana has been finished before, never early, before the round and a half mark, though, so I think it's a pretty good number, too, minus 125 to go over a round and a half. All right, very interesting handicap on that, and I have one NFL thing for you, but before I get to it, uh, any other bet of no for you at UFC 269. Yeah, I like Augusto Sakai here, guys, at minus 110. I think it's a pretty fair number on him. I think he's being judged too harshly. You know, he's coming off of, uh, he got finished in his last two fights uh, against guys who are near the top of the food chain and Alistair right. Overeem and Jerzino Rosenstrike. Now, we hung around in that Overeem fight. You know, he had some some decent moments in that one. It actually outlanded him in that fight, but he did get finished later on in the fight. Then against Rosenstrike, he didn't look good at all. He got his ass kicked. He got Finished, right? But the UFC obviously saw enough in this guy to put him in those spots, to put him in those two main event spots, trying to give him a little bit of a push. It didn't work out. But now, as a result of that, he's dropping down maybe a level or two to take on a guy who came very, very close to losing to Greg Hardy here, guys. Um, so just overall, I think Tui Vasa is the better mixed martial artist. I do think he has more pass to victory. So I will take Sakai here to take this one. All right, and last thing, in terms of the NFL, I know you like the Cleveland Browns at the beginning of the year. There have been a lot of circumstances that uh, have resulted in them not having the year that maybe you forecasted. But right now, as we start December, so to speak, if you had to pick one NFL team to win the Super Bowl, independent of price, I'm not looking for value on the board. Like, I see the mm-hmm. NFC as maybe having more possible entries who could win it all. Um, but who do you think is the best team in the NFL right now? And if I gave you a 1000 American dollars or Canadian dollars, or whatever dollars, to bet. Um, who do you think is the best team in the NFL? Who do you think hoist Lombardi? I want some Bitcoin, right, Kenny? Ha. Absolutely. So, um, Absolutely. I would probably have to say the Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, if you're just putting me on the spot like this. And the reason is they're different this, this season because their defense is really good. And that kind of came out of nowhere. No one expected them to be this good defensively. Um If they are able to lock up that number one seed, it would be hard to envision seeing them lose two NFC championship games and back-to-back seasons at home. It is a hard place to go in and win. It is a true home field advantage where weather often comes into play playing there in in January. So I would go with Green Bay. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, his his last dance in Green Bay before he goes on to to another team. So, yeah, I would go with Green Bay just because we know what they can do offensively and the defense is pretty damn good this season. I like that. How about the Boston College Eagle, A.J. Dillon? Chewing things up on the ground. Yeah, good team. All right, at JTFOZ on Twitter, on Instagram, he is at Paper Chaser Joe. It's good to see you, my friend. 
Happy New Year, I guess. This is the final pay-per-view of the year. You know what? We'll get you on, though, later in the month, depending on your schedule. But it's good to see you, man. Hope you keep hitting them straight, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Awesome, guys. Good luck to you. Good luck to all the listeners out there. Thanks, there Joe. There he is. Oddshark.com's Joe Osborne. A lot of good content from him on the daily at oddshark.com. All right, before we get on out of here, I just want to share some quotes on Hamzat Chimaev from Dana White. So he was on the Jim Rome show, and we do wish the UFC president a return to health here soon. Um, but here is the quote that I just wanted to read to you on Hamzat, and then we'll get you out of here. So hopefully this week we will have an opponent for him. Nobody wants to fight this guy. Everybody wants to get out on social media and say this and say that, blah, blah, blah. But when it really comes down to it, nobody's trying to fight Hamzat Chimaev, Okay. That line, nobody's trying to fight Hamza Chimaev. So Neil Magny is trying to fight Hamza Chimaev, and Gunnar Nelson is trying to fight Hamza. Now, I don't know if either one of those guys um, is of the ilk that would get them that fight. Maybe Magny uh, in the top 15 right now would get that fight. I really don't know. But certainly those guys seemingly have put themselves out there and want the fight at under the terms of their current contract. It's one thing to want the fight like that. It's another thing to say, yeah, I'll fight him for a raise of $350,000, right? So I think independent of price, those guys would take the fight. Um, Nate Diaz has said that Hamzad is a rookie, right? And so he wouldn't want to fight him. Now, Dana White's response to that um, was... There are guys with more experience, he told TMZ, and some guys with some less experience. Hamza Chimaev is one of those guys that's willing to fight anybody in multiple weight classes on short notice. He's doing wrestling matchups. If it's a fight, he's in and he wants to fight you, and that's the reality. People can spin Hamza however they want to, and I don't blame them. And, you know, he went on to say Hamza's one of the baddest dudes I've ever come across. He's literally willing to fight anyone, doesn't care the time frame or the weight class or any of that stuff. One of the baddest dudes I've ever come across, right? And so I just agree with a lot of Dana's sentiments. It has nothing to do with promotional hyperbole or the UFC cutting my paycheck check or me trying to align with Dana or getting a direct order from them. He's one of the baddest dudes that we have ever seen. And it seems to me, at least right now, that the fights that make the most sense, Luke Gay Burns, for one reason or another, um, aren't materializing. So it seems like in a few days we're going to have some answers. But um, I just want to get those quotes from Dana out there because I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there aren't a lot of guys who really are trying right now to fight Hamzat at 170 pounds. No, no, they're not. I mean, listen, you look at Hamzat's skills uh, and what he's done so far. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are very fearful of that fight and that matchup. And I think it becomes even more difficult because he only has had a few fights in the UFC. And, uh, you know, guys are seeing way too much risk. I mean, they go out there and they fight a guy who's only fought a few times in the UFC and they get handled easily. They look bad. And I think they're fearful of that right, outcome. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and, and again, it's like these guys are not like afraid of the fight. They're afraid of what the results might do to their career trajectory, yes. you know, and I wouldn't blame them. And again, you know, maybe uh, maybe it will be that a higher profile guy will get a new contract in order to fight him. And, you know, maybe it'll be Chimaev and Magni at a main event. Who knows? But um, hopefully it's something that happens soon because I know the masses are excited uh, about the future. All right. Thank you all for indulging us over the last 90 minutes or so. If you want merchandise or anything more on the show, AnnaFlorianPodcast.com. We have extended our holiday code FAM15 for 15% off of your entire order. Also, don't forget Flow2, Ken Flow's YouTube channel is up and running 
One more sleep merchandise at millions.co. Don't forget UFC 269 is coming up this weekend. And for all of you who are in our intern sweepstakes, we will be in touch. But basically, you're going to be creating a 30-second video uh, through a Google form or something. And we're going to repurpose that video and audio on the podcast. You get 30 seconds to tell us your name, your age, and why you believe you should be the 2022 intern for the Anakin Florian podcast. So details to come. If you have not already submitted your application, sorry, but we have closed the bracket at this point in time and we will reach out to those individuals over the next week or so thank you all for listening for watching tell your friends to subscribe to the youtube channel as well our producer is cody merrill thanks to our guests james kraus ray longo joe osborne for the man can flow i'm just john anik we'll talk to you next monday thanks for watching listen to you later this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So when you are at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel a touch overwhelmed. Perhaps you're not showing up the way that you would like to. I can certainly relate. You know, there's a phrase in the song, there's no business like show business. And it says there's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. And for me, being in the public eye has been challenging, at least in terms of always projecting happiness when perhaps that's not how I'm feeling. Well, whatever your situation, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws your way. For me, it's imperative that I'm my best self in order to just perform at a high level. And when I don't feel that way, BetterHelp is a great option and a great resource for therapy. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. That gets you matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch out anytime for no additional charge if you're not happy. For me, I'm on the road about 100 nights a year, so being able to connect with someone remotely was absolutely huge for me. And my mindset really candidly has changed for the better. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Florian today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Florian. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. 
Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckel SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. 